0: Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. Prime Minister number two, Spencer Compton, the tricky number two. He was Prime Minister between 1742 and 1743. Hello everyone, how are you? Welcome to Long History and our series Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This is the series where we literally take a Prime Minister at random and then ask a series of questions such as what were they like? how did they get into office and how did they leave office? We've covered quite a few of these prime ministers now so if you're interested take a look at your podcast provider or they're all gathered together on longhistory.net that's longhistory.net. So here we go with the latest random prime minister. We're heading back to the mid 1700s when the job was still being defined. This is random UK prime minister of the week number two Spencer Compton. The subtitle we've used for this episode is the tricky number two. The first Prime Minister has happened and it seemed to go well. Uh, Robert Walpole, that first Prime Minister ever, he lasted for more than two decades in the job. He was regarded as pretty excellent in the job. And you can listen to the episode on Robert Walpole to find out more details why. Mm, But now we've got the tricky number two. And could number two possibly be as good as the first one? Well there are plenty of analogies this is the second album syndrome of politics or possibly even the second Doctor Who or the second James Bond and when the time comes for the second attempt at something a second album by a band that had put all its ideas into its first album or a second popular character an attempt to keep the franchise alive a number of questions arise in this situation. Was it just a freak set of events that led to the creation of number one? and can that unique set of characteristics be repeated? Will the number two kill off the career or the franchise? Was the band just a one-album wonder? Has the idea for that popular character already been stretched to its limits? Well, we already know the answer, because the role of prime minister has existed and continued evolving for over 300 years, and it seems to be going as strong as ever, So Spencer Compton as that number two Prime Minister, he must have done something right. Yet, he isn't celebrated and in fact he swims with many other of those almost forgotten Prime Ministers. In this episode, we'll take a look at the reasons for that. There are some superlatives that make him stand out, although not necessarily for the best reasons. He was the first of many Prime Ministers, for example, to have lasted less than two years in office... Something that happened seven times in the 1700s alone, six times in the 20th century, but has only happened once so far this century. Perhaps the most interesting fact for me about this man was that he first entered Parliament in 1698, which means that he's the only Prime Minister to have worked in Parliament in the 17th century. He also had one rather unhappy achievement, which we'll look at in this episode. The first question we ask about a Prime Minister is what was he like? Well, some of the words used to describe Spencer Compton include undistinguished, nervous, ponderous, and poor leader. However, we've also noticed that he seems to have had a strong work ethic. And that seems to be quite common, actually. At the time, and perhaps even stretching to today, actually, the role of Prime Minister didn't necessarily involve being an inspirational leader quite. Spencer Compton, for example, seems to have been mooted for the top job because of his competence and because of his expertise at dealing with the intricacies of parliamentary procedure. He was apparently good on committees and on flashy, and there's one key characteristic of those times which was pretty much essential, which was that he was a favourite of George II, the king at the time. He was unmarried and had no children Which perhaps could go some way to explain why the biographies are so negative about this man. Perhaps he really was as mediocre as they say. But perhaps also there was simply no one around to defend his reputation down through history. What was the historical background at the time? We like to paint a picture of the time and say what was in the news. And Compton was in office during a time when the War of the Austrian Succession was taking place. This took place between 1740 and 1748. Now there are lots of these wars going on at the time and they can become a bit baffling and they will continue on into the century to come. At this point in European history it does seem to come across as a game of thrones with various royal families fighting various wars over who would inherit various thrones and it was an incredibly complicated theatre because of the interrelated claims that had evolved because of various marriages and deaths without successors. This particular war brought France, Bavaria, Saxony and Spain together in the hopes of dividing up the Habsburg Empire of the time. This has been called the first global war, because it wasn't just Europe involved. Far away colonies were also part of this war, as we will discuss in the section about the United States. As such, it's a rather depressing forerunner of the world wars of the 20th century, which was still 200 years away. What was the United Kingdom like at the time? Well, this was right in the middle of the reign of George II, and he was only the second of the Hanoverian kings, and so it was important for the king at that time that the Prime Minister be on his side, because the question of who should be the king was still open for grabs to a certain extent, and there will be a rebellion soon after Spencer Compton left the job over who had the right to rule the country. This event was the 1745 Jacobite Rebellion. The most significant newsworthy event of 1742 and 1743 was possibly the replacement of Robert Walpole himself, who had been in the job for over two decades. The country's population had been stable for much of the first part of the 1700s, containing around 7 million people. It is worth remembering at that time that Welsh and Scots and Irish Gaelic were widely spoken and parts of the country furthest away from London would have been very different. The city of Norwich in eastern England was having a heyday at this moment with its weaving industry booming. By some accounts Norwich was the second largest city in the UK around this time thanks in no small part to its nearness to the North Sea enabling it to export its cloth as far as Germany and even Russia by the 1760s. What was the US like at the time? Well, of course, the United States hadn't declared their independence yet. And it is noticeable that the first United States presidents are treated with a certain amount of reverence as far as I know, but the same isn't the same with the first prime ministers of the UK. Why can every schoolchild not list the first few prime ministers? Well, I guess part of the reason is that those first few presidents were rebelling precisely against these particular men in the UK. Perhaps it's precisely because they were bureaucratic, aristocratic administrators that they lacked that pioneering spirit of the first few presidents. The future US was very much in its formative years at this stage, still being 30 years before it declared independence. A distant branch of that same War of the Austrian Succession was actually taking place in the United States. The British were fighting the Spanish in the area of today's Georgia and Florida, in some sort of border dispute between the two territories. Who could vote in those days? We are talking about the earliest years of Britain's burgeoning democracy when Parliament was less about the people and more about keeping the aristocrats and the landed gentry, that is, the people with power, happy. This was the system that the people in the United States would fight against. Only the wealthy could vote in elections and many of the seats in Parliament were chosen as a result of rotten boroughs, ones with so few voters that they could easily be manipulated. The structures were being put in place, not least with the very existence of the second Prime Minister who would lead to the third Prime Minister, etc etc. But at this stage the country was only a proto-democracy really. What was Spencer Compton's background? We're not quite sure when he was born, either in 1673 or 1674. He was born in a castle in a place called Compton Wynyates in Warwickshire. He was the son of the Earl of Nottingham, so was one of a long line of aristocrats who would take up the job of prime minister during those years. Accordingly he was another aristocrat with an establishment education, he went to St Paul's School which is near to and takes its name from the famous St Paul's Cathedral in London and he's also one of the many prime ministers who went to Oxford University. As we've already stated he entered parliament in 1698 and during the next four decades, he was in charge of pensions and then became the Speaker. He was given the title of Earl of Wilmington in 1730 and was aligned with the Whig grouping in Parliament, although political parties as such didn't quite exist in the same way in those days. How did Spencer Compton become Prime Minister? He actually notoriously failed to take up an opportunity when offered to him to become Prime Minister in 1727. That was the year when George II succeeded George I, and there was an expectation that with the new king there would be a clearing out of the old guard from politics. Robert Walpole, the prime minister at the time, even expected himself to lose his job. However, when Spencer Compton was put forward for the job, rather than grasping it with relish, he deferred back to Walpole, who in turn did grasp this opportunity to stay in the job, not least with the help of his own royal backers, including George II's wife, Queen Caroline. This would lead to Walpole staying in the job for another 15 years. Walpole's end came after 21 years in the job in total, due to a growing coalition of enemies who eventually succeeded in creating an opposition grouping strong enough to oust him after years of declining popularity. This seems to have been a wheezing last gasp rather than some dramatic coup and Walpole's eventual departure promised a new dawn in politics and a sweeping away again of that old guard. Yet the king had a change of heart and limited the number of new men allowed into government. Compton was very much one of George II's favourites having worked in the king's household and being noted for his ability to follow the rules and do what the king wanted. I think in summary we can say that he was a bit of a yes man. Compton was promoted therefore more or less as a figurehead for a government that was not expected to last. Change was still wanted with the departure of Walpole and the lack of development caused great disappointment and even anger. Now that they got rid of Walpole, it was time for a new set of people at the top and Compton promised the opposite. What were Compton's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? We've got to remember that at this stage the role of Prime Minister still wasn't fixed and some histories barely even acknowledge Compton as a Prime Minister at all. He had the main title that is usually associated with the Prime Ministers of that time, First Lord of the Treasury, but he does seem to have been just a figurehead in a government that disappointingly had not swept the old guard from office. In this way it's difficult to pinpoint any particular achievements. Why did Spencer Compton stop being Prime Minister? Well here we come to another of Spencer Compton's claim to fame, the rather unhappy one mentioned in the introduction. He was the first Prime Minister of seven in total to die in office. He was actually three years older than Robert Walpole, his predecessor, so was already in his late 60s when he took up the job. He became increasingly ill after barely six months in the job. He died in July 1743. Why should we remember Spencer Compton? When Spencer Compton became the Prime Minister, the definition of the role was still up for grabs. He was given the title after the event, because even Robert Walpole, widely defined as the first Prime Minister, was only defined as such retrospectively. It involved a certain convergence of titles and roles, and because of the new Hanoverian kings on the throne, there was a need for Prime Ministers who could legitimise the role of the king. Walpole had been very successful at balancing this need, both to rule the country and to keep the king happy. But perhaps we could say that the job of Prime Minister, and democracy itself, could only begin to solidify with that first transfer of power from one Prime Minister to the next, and Spencer Compton was the man it was transferred to. So it can be argued that he helped to consolidate democracy by default, by offering a buffer after Robert Walpole's successful rule, and before the next one to come along. As such, he helped to maintain a stable system that, on its own terms, could be said to be working. Although after having his hand in consolidating this burgeoning democracy, Spencer Compton's biggest achievement was perhaps being the first Prime Minister to die in office. Getting out of the way so a a better Prime Minister, Henry Pelham, could take up the role. Really, of all those analogies related to being second that we used at the beginning of this episode, the second album, the second Doctor Who, the second James Bond, it's the latter that seems to work the best. We'd had a Prime Minister who defined the role, and the Prime Minister who followed him would be another classic, but Spencer Compton was the one in between. He was the George Lazenby of Prime Ministers. He didn't ruin the franchise, he didn't cause its demise, Fortunately, the franchise was already strong enough thanks to its own Sean Connery in the form of his predecessor, Robert Walpole. Thank you everyone for listening to the latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week by Long History. I hope you've enjoyed that. This is just an introduction to a man who lived quite a long life, so as always I see this as just a starting point for anyone who might be interested in researching this man further. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do help me by liking it if possible and by sharing it with other people. That would be much appreciated. Thank you for listening to Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number two, Spencer Compton. Goodbye.